from grain to glass, this show is dedicated to helping you make the best beer possible. So strap in and hold on to your mash tons. We're Homebrew Bound. Welcome to Homebrew Bound. I'm Casey. And I'm Brian. And I'm Katie. This is the best beer show on the internet. I almost forgot I was here for a second. It's like, oh yeah, I have to say something. <laughs> Alrighty, before we get too deep here, I should probably give a shout out to the American Homebrewers Association. They do a lot to support homebrewers and homebrewing, and now they support us during the AHA. We'll give you discounts at homebrew shops and select tap rooms, as well as give you access to the fantastic Zamergy magazine. Click on the referral link above our homepage and join today. So I'm going to give a big shout out to our patrons, specifically our Black Belt patrons, Andy Thompson, Bjorn Bjornson, Devin Stinson, and Tyler Romanski. If you'd like to be as awesome as our patrons, head over to patreon.com slash studios and become a patron today. All right. Uh, Brian, what have you been up to brewing related lately? Oh my, doing the, doing the brewing podcast. Oh, yeah, Man, yeah. This is the second one. <laughs> this is the second one. The second one. I don't have anything to say. Oh, <laughs> you, you did it again. Yeah. yeah. That's okay. We had we'll a lengthy intro, which we need to curtail this one, because I think this is going to be a dense topic. Today. Oh, yes, this is. Uh, though I do want to touch on the thing that Katie and I were talking about right before this, because I think that's interesting. Yeah. Not necessarily um, specifically about this, but so we both opened the same beer from, I think, the same four-pack. Yeah. Um, and they are drastically different colors because of oxidation. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I didn't like, well, I mean, why don't you take it from here? Yeah. yeah. So, so, uh, it's, it's, uh, an IPA or a double IPA, I guess. And, you know, I, I, I brew the beer, so I know what color it should look like. And I've also analyzed a lot of, uh, beer in the lab to, to see that oxidized beer not only has a, a strange, smell and taste to it but it also it starts changing color in the glass so it gets darker murkier um and probably two years ago at this point when we were when we would can beer um so the the cans get filled and then immediately get lidded and of course there's co2 being you know kind of i don't know blanketed over that process but they immediately get lidded after they get filled and we used to, if, if, if a lid got missed, we would just slide one on there really quickly, like within a second. And we were finding uh, how how extreme oxidation some of those beers were getting because of that. So we stopped doing that process. And now if, if, a, if a can doesn't get lidded, it just gets wasted and dumped. So, you know, I'm thinking with this can is that the lid probably wasn't seated on the can exactly right for the four seconds or whatever that it goes down the line to, before it gets seamed. And we, we, we missed it. So um, it's just a li- I mean, it's barely, barely noticeable, but the color for sure is definitely. Yeah. Darker. Obviously more notable when you've. Yeah. I, I would assume that the average beer drinker probably wouldn't notice yeah. a difference, but. I definitely didn't notice until you said something. Yeah. Yeah. So but it's, 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 it does not take much for, for oxygen no, I, to yeah. permeate and. It's super fascinating, yeah. and uh, uh, a upcoming topic is actually going to be talking about um, CO2 and oxygen um, in beer. Uh, Bjorn Bjornsson uh, brought it up because uh, the a common homebrewer thing is to say, well, there's a blanket of CO2 on it, you're fine. Mm. Um, and that's not necessarily true. Right. Yeah. Because... Gases mix. Mm-hmm. They do. This has to be a, a good amount of CO2, but we can talk about that. Yep, yeah, yeah. yep. Uh, yeah. So Katie, what else have you been up to beer related besides, I was uh, thinking German beer. So I had a, a, in our last, last week, which I don't know if, if listeners have figured out, we, we often 
air. Can I say this out loud? I mean, we've talked two. about it multiple we, we do times. Two, yeah. We do two episodes in a row, and then we just <laughs> release them. So we always like, last week was actually like 12 minutes ago in our in our world. But yeah. anyway, I had a Bitburger uh, Pilsner <laughs> when in she, a can. When she showed up, I, she came from the garage with this Bitburger, and I was like, how did I not see that? And I was <laughs> sitting here drinking a PBR. <laughs> and so, and this is the second time in the, in the last couple of weeks that I've had a really good Excuse me, German beer. Um, yeah. Downtown Hudson, where our brewery is, we have the Winzer Stube. It is yeah. the fifth best German restaurant in the country. Which you know, which you mean knows it good. Well, yeah, fantastic. So a, f- a couple of weeks ago, I don't know. We got it in our. We had to have to go have big beers at. So we got we we went down to this basement restaurant in in um, uh, the Stroganoff is. To die. No, 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 no. What is it? The, the goulash. The, the goulash. goulash. Oh, is to die I'm a schnitzel guy. Oh, my gosh. Too, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. That Jaeger schnitzel? Yeah, it's it's so ridiculous. Good. But they also, you can get a, a liter of beer. You can get a, yeah. a giant liter of beer and a giant mug. And, and it's think, all imported German beer. And yeah. I think I had Bitburger then, too. I mean, you know, everyone in the in the U.S., I think if if you know beer, you, you, you know and respect that German, of course, German beer is amazing and great, but... By the time we get it, it sometimes is mm, buttery, old, old. It's been you know heated yep. up, cooled down, all the mm-hmm. things. So, if you can find a good uh, re- a restaurant that goes through it quickly, like this place does, mm-hmm. it's oh my gosh, so good. So well, they have like a mug club thing too. What you did not know huh? about this, did you? No, they do. Yep, they have a little mug club thing. I have a bunch of like free leaders piled up. How do you get into the mug club? You have to ask them. Well, now I know to ask. There's them. a little file box with, like, it's old school AF. It's like paper, little paper. Is this a secret box. thing that we shouldn't have released on the internet? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they'd appreciate no. the business. No, I used to no, go there actually, with Tom Mondor a lot. Gotten, it's got it's gotten actually really funny because you know the more and I don't I'm not usually involved in these meetings, but I've heard of a, a couple different distribution partners that we have have gotten involved with or other breweries that we're collaborating with, and for some reason we've been taking them to this German restaurant, and they're just like. They, it, it's it like that's the best place. I got to go back. It's actually mm-hmm. very good. If you're ever in the, it's um, amazing. If you're ever in the, I guess you know, Twin Cities metro area, and it's wanna, it's worth the trip. It worth is the trip out to Hudson. Well, I mean, you make the trip out to Hudson. You go to the brewery. You ask for Brian. He probably won't be there, but you can ask. And- <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I'll probably I'm probably there. It's just my. Oh, they'll say no. My my employee coworker people are smart enough not to tell every you know. Say it's for the podcast. I don't know if he's there or not. Let me check. And then they're like, Brian, it's a guy with a leather folder thing. And I'm like, I'm not here. <laughs> just just say it's for the podcast and Brian will know. And I'm luckily, luckily like, they don't ask for me. <laughs> yeah, so definitely ask for Katie. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's, it's the, you know, I've been in the industry for a long right. time. And I stood behind a bar for a long time, even before that, so it's pe- people know. But yeah, no, if uh, you you can you can do the line, you can you can swing by Hop and Barrel, mm-hmm. you know, get get your uh, get your pre dinner pints, mm-hmm. head on down to the Vinzer Stube, get oh. your liter, and then stop back at Hop and Barrel for dessert. Yeah, there we go. I don't ever yeah. leave there without drinking two or three liters of beer, though. Oh, yeah, I mean yeah. there is that. Well, and the food is so. I can filling usually do a and, liter and a pint, but that's yeah. about it. Yeah. If if I'm not driving, it's two or three liters. They also have that snuff thing too, which just I can't yeah. do that. I can't no, either. But no, they do that. It's all. It's like it's like it's like hardcore German. Well, and if, if you're and if you're with the right <laughs> group, they have the boot. They do do das boot. Yes. 
So, all right. Should Anyhow. We, yeah, should we should probably... How about you? Do you have anything about, going on? I, uh, not really. Okay. Same same as last week. Moving I, on. Yeah, been busy. <laughs> Uh, so let, let, let's let's talk about this because we're we're digging deep into seven uh, chapter seven here of the new IPA, a scientific guide to hop and aroma and flavor, or to hop aroma and flavor by Scott Janish, um, which I do have an email out to him, so hopefully we'll hear back soon. Nice, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, but yeah, so uh, this is yeah. So welcome to Homebrewbound Book Club. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not wrong. I mean, these characters have been riveting. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, so today we're specifically talking about uh, dry hopping. We're going to talk about amounts um, of hops that you're adding, um, and then we're also going to be talking about the head retention issues that come with massive dry hopping. Uh, yeah. So Brian, you want to kick us off with pellet disintegration and sedimentation? Yeah. So yeah, eventually. Uh, when you are dry hopping, eventually all the hop particles are going to settle to the bottom. Uh, however, uh, we want to keep them in suspension as long as possible. Um, so when you when you're dropping the the pellets into the beer, uh, they they begin swelling, you know, right off the bat, um, and the the during swelling, the faster it'll drop out of the beer and extraction will stop or slow. So on the other hand, the smaller the particle size, the longer the particle will stay in suspension. And that's going to contribute directly to the extraction of the hop compounds. Um, so uh, it's ideal to have a fast and efficient swelling of hops. And we'll get more into that why and how later. So uh, another piece to this puzzle is that the higher the alpha acid of the hop um, the less swelling you're going to get because alpha acids do not isomerize at dry hopping temperatures and they stay hydrophobic. And hydrophobic just means that the the oil, that particular uh, alpha acid in that oil doesn't want to uh, stay in solution with the water. Now, isomerization, again, just real quick, is when is, is um, basically the- you're removing the the oil from solid in a sense – and you're, you're transforming the the uh, the alpha acid. the alpha acid using heat in the boil. So when we're dry hopping, obviously we're doing it at fermentation or or lower, which is you know 68. Mm-hmm. Or well, the I mean, if you're using a yeah, you know, a higher yeah. fermenter, then that's yeah. that's kind of the route here. But um, so there's there's less swelling. Um, so there, there was a Hopsteiner study on the extraction of linalool in particular is one of these things. Like since we're in a book that's more geared towards your hazy IPA, we're going to talk a little bit more about linalool or that type of uh, oil. Uh, so in this Hopsteiner study uh, on the extraction of linalool when dry hopping with loose pellets versus hops contained in a sack, um, the, the beer that was dry hopped loosely with uh, instead of in a sack had nearly 50% more extraction than the beer dry hopped with the use of a hop sack. So I know as home brewers, you know, I mean, if you're dry hopping in a keg or you know stuff like that, you're, um, you know, you're, you're more prone to putting it in a in a in a sack like that, and you will get less uh, extraction. Yeah, and and um, depending on your system, you know, the the only way to have all those hop all that hop matter really get out of solution is to be able to cool your beer down to you know that 30 31 degree mark where everything just drops to the bottom Mm -hmm. so using a sack is sometimes the only um, way to go and uh, you know a solution to that is either um, putting less hops in 
multiple sacks or mm. increasing the amount of hops you're using. Yeah, so, so if you need to use a sack, then um, yeah. That's... Scott mentions, uh, I think he, well, I mean, a semi-shameless plug in his own book, which I feel like is allowed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, uh, yeah. he he uh, he worked with a company to create a um, a filter that goes around like the dip tube at the bottom mm. of like a, a corny keg yes. um, to help filter out that um, that okay. hot matter. Yeah. Um, which kind of helps solve mm-hmm. some of this hop sack problem, especially if you're doing um, closed uh, closed transfers mm-hmm. um, with your fermentations, which we have not done an episode about, but we probably should, and I'm guessing we'll get into that at yeah, some point in this big, book. It's a big thing. It's very helpful. Um, yeah, so that would help with mm-hmm. that situation. Yeah. So, yeah. It, you know, we talked about, uh, or Brian talked about, um, you know, the disintegration and all those things. You 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 want you want your hot pellets to break apart in the in the fermenter, but you also want them to stay in solution. And I've found the best way for that to happen is to dry hop when fermentation is still fairly active. Um, if you do it too early, you're going to get hops just exploding out of the top of your fermenter, which I've had <laughs> happen both in my kitchen as a home brewer and. <laughs> With you know giant fifteen or thirty barrel fermenters, it's pretty scary. So yeah. you have to you have to kind of like gauge like how active are you right now? Yeah. Do I want to be throwing because those hops will. But then don't you risk biotransformation and changing the hop flavor? Um, depending on when you when you do it, okay. but you have to kind of account for that too. You know, okay. I mean, if you were, if you were to drop hops, you know, say for example, you know, we use ten pounds of hops for a dry hop, ten pounds in a in a cool. Um, non-active fermentation so say a couple weeks after fermentation yep. starts or whatever after you pitch the yeast those the, the hops aren't going to um stay in solution so they'll kind of just float around and then they'll just eventually isn't uh I, we may have talked about a little bit about this in the last hop episode but i don't know if we did um there at the commercial level isn't there ways to keep those how our hops like or i guess rouse those yeah like there yeah. are there are recirculation techniques mm-hmm. um that worked great uh, to kind of uh, put put them back up into solution and then increase the extraction percentage. Certainly, yeah, uh, uh, we we've we've found that if we just pick pick a day of fermentation, where you know based okay. on your yeast activity, um, it's, you, it's it's better it's, than it, it. You know the 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 wort or the beer at that point itself is is still sort of churning just enough where it's gonna keep those hops riled up but it isn't going to negatively impact like you said biotransformation okay those things yep right so i think the takeaway here is um you know the uh dry hopping loose could increase in increase extraction it will um it will yeah it'll reduce hop usage um which then in turn might also reduce that more harsh the more harsh polyphenols um that were not wanting, and then also speed up the dry hopping time as well. So mm-hmm. it's kind of kind All of a deal. I would I would say if you can't recirculate, I don't know, shake your carboy around. Yep. Yeah. At the homebrew level, all you need to do is mm-hmm. wiggle it. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like. <laughs> and then and then when you're ready for those hops to get out of solution, so they don't start creating you know grassy, crash vegetal it. flavors. Figure out a way to crash it. Whether you you buy yourself a uh, a chest freezer that you you know have an external therm- um, you know what I mean. temp controller yeah, yeah. A temp controller yeah. to, to set to thirty one or you put it in the cool part of your basement even that will help yeah. enough 
Having a fast and efficient swelling of the hops is um, important here. Our surface area is, you know, obviously. And so we're talking faster swelling at higher temperatures. Yep. Yeah. And, and we're, we're, we're I, talking specically pellet here. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. And that's what I mean. Yeah. That's what I mean about the, you know, the having that your fermentation being just active enough because there's, there's CO2. And, you know, if you have a glass of club soda and you drop anything in it, it's going to, those, mm-hmm. it's just going to, the like, bubbles are going to, bub- so yep. it's like those, those CO2, those CO2 bubbles just sort of like attract to those hot pellets mm-hmm. and they start scrubbing them apart. And that's what you're looking for. Oh. You got to pick that, but you just have to pick that range that you're comfortable with. All right. Should we talk about dry hop amounts? Unless, uh, Brian, do you think mm. there's anything else we need to cover in pellet disintegration or Katie? No. no, I don't think so. All right. Let's talk about dry hop amounts. I think this was a big thing for me taking away from this chapter or this part of the chapter. This was kind of the big one. Um, so talking, talking dry hop amounts, um, we're not talking about specific amounts. It's, the uh, um, the percentage that you're putting in all at once. So like traditional traditional brewing, we're talking about like single or I guess uh, looking at packaging labels, double dry hopped, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you you do one or two stages of dry hopping, mm-hmm. yeah, and usually they're big amounts, or right? three or four, or three <laughs> or four. Well, <laughs> depends. No, on what it depends. What but so here we're talking about uh, um, looking at so if you're doing the same amount or the the same variety of hops or even multiple variety of hops. Um, if you dry hop too much of a particular variety, that can alter that hops profile. So mm-hmm. you're changing the flavor and not necessarily getting what you expect. So like traditional knowledge would be, well, okay, I want more of this flavor. If I want double this flavor, why don't we just add double the hops, mm-hmm. right? And that like that should give me more of the thing, it's right? It's simply not. I was helping the, the 10-year-old uh, today make a glass of Kool-Aid with a squeeze bottle of that flavoring and if you squeeze too much of that kool-aid flavoring in it's you don't get twice as much kool-aid flavor no why not it just ends up tasting kind of bitter and it just ends up being too much so as the rate of dry hops increase i guess in our for our purposes so do scores uh or you know when people are rating these they're they're saying that it, there's the rate of dry hops increase, so to herbal and, and tea characteristics. Now, and we're talking about hops like Cascade. So if we're, we're thinking like four grams per liter or what that translates into is two pounds per barrel. Um, even when they pushed it to four pounds per barrel, the at least as far as Cascade hops are concerned, we're talking about like m- just major herbal and tea characteristics. Yeah. So bombing it with you know, 10, 10 pounds of hops versus five pounds of hops, you're going to get diminishing returns uh, in a couple different ways. So you're, as the dry hops increase, the extraction percentage will decrease. And, and, you know, and even more so if you put them in a bag as opposed to loose. Right. So we're talking diminishing returns here. But if you want more of those flavors, um, it's like, so, so if I wanted bigger flavors, so I, I, there's certain, there, there's, there's certain flavors in like Cascade that I really want, mm-hmm. right? Um, but I don't want to get these herbal tea. How do how do I do that, Brian? Double or triple dry hopping. So smaller amounts, more frequently. Correct. Yeah. Okay. That's. I mean, that's. Uh, you can almost mic drop on this cha- on that. Yeah. On that. On the, on I mean, that's, yeah. That's, that's what this. this whole book and I. You know, this whole book talks about its extraction of these certain specific um, 
you know, essentially essential oils. Well, right? I mean, we're, we're talking you, hydrocarbon, mm-hmm. oxygen-containing compound, mm-hmm. and sulfur-containing compound. Yeah. If you go towards the front of the book, the chemical composition of the essential oils of hops is, is where you want to be sort of looking with this conversation. Yeah. And yeah. you're going to get a lot better extraction mm-hmm. from multiple smaller uh, additions than you will from one big one. Right, mm-hmm. and, and, and this, again, this book is specific to IPA and Hazy Juicy, those kinds. Yeah, but I mean, but so, the science, but, I think, applies to basically anything, like anything yep. that you're going to dry hop. Diminishing returns. You're, you're, like, if you're not looking for those vegetal characters, which I don't know a style where you would be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, instead of doing, like, one big 10-ounce edition or whatever, mm-hmm. to break that up. Mm-hmm. So our takeaway is dry hopping too much of a particular variety can alter that hops profile. Yeah. Likely going from fruity flavors to more herbal and raw. Uh, also, dry hopping in stages will result in greater extraction than just one large dry Well, and I, I, I know I'm definitely guilty of this particular hop sin, if yeah. you will. Oh, me too. Um, like, because... Yeah, throw more at it. Well, no, and just, and just recently, I think, uh, less than a year ago, I was brewing a hazy IPA with Steve, uh, my friend, who I gotta get on the podcast one of these days so we can talk about some of our home brewing shenanigans. Is that Joel and Steve, Steve? Yep. Oh, right. Yeah. Uh, but um, we put a pound of... Essentially a pound in uh, of hops in a 10, in a 10 gallon batch and... Two dry hops. That's a lot. That's way too much. Yeah, yeah. Now we know that. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, that, and that kind of goes, and I, I guess, you know, you, you talk about before it was bittering hops and IBUs, and, you know, there's this theory, I guess, out there that says anything above 100 you don't you can't, perceive. You can't perceive. <laughs> there, there is a point where, you know, putting more than you know, X amount of pounds per barrel of hops in your beer, it's not going to make a difference. But what if I want to continuously <clears throat> drop hops in for 90 minutes in a, and call it a 90-minute IPA and, yeah. <laughs> and get 300 yeah. IBUs? Oh. Can I taste them all? I don't, like... <laughs> I guess the human palate apparently can't. That's. You know. I mean, I don't. I don't necessarily want to want to call out this particular Maryland brewery, but I will. Oh yeah. <laughs> I don't have anything to say about that. Oh my god! So just a little wrap up on it, though. Like we, the, the authors of the you know the author of the book and and that uh, suggested to avoid loss and keep strong aromatic profile in the beer. You can supplement dry hopping with. Uh, hop extract and oil. Um, these oil products are produced from that the cold CO2 extract, which I think we maybe have probably touched well, on. And we, we've touched on that, and I, I honestly think that's kind of where everything seems to be slowly moving mm-hmm. because it's way more measurable and it's just like I, I won't, don't want to say easier to deal with, but there's no loss. Mm. Well, isn't there also that like it's like hop powder? Yeah, uh, oh, lupulin powder lupulin or powder. N2. That, uh, that yeah. to me seems. Like a great solution. Oh, uh, I mean, that I've, is so I've, cool. I've worked with uh, hop extract, um, and unless you know, so you, you open this can and it's molasses thick and it's sticky. it's almost like wax. Yeah, yeah. And unless you have, like, the only way for me, like, you know, the the can opener that gets a little bit of this hop extract on it, the the, the stirrer that we use to kind of mix it in, the only thing that gets that off of the utensils that we we used to put it into the boil is boiling wort. So <laughs> I don't understand how using a hop extract in a, a 65 or 70 degree would work. would work. I just don't, yep. I don't get it how it, how it would 
it would you know get yeah. into solution. Yeah, so. I think I think you'd need to go towards more like the lupulin powder yeah. or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, which is like that powder is super cool. Uh, I've used that a few times and it's a lot of fun. Uh, but they like they they put on the package. Us, like, because it, it comes in like a pelletized form, mm-hmm. like a pellet, and they're like, just assume that every one of these pellets is two of a normal leg. Yeah. So, like, half your weight when yeah. you're using the lupulin yep. powder. But that's definitely increasing surface area yep. with that. Oh, yeah. And it's much finer. Mm-hmm. Um, and it immediately turns your beer green, no matter what you're oh, doing. That's right. You don't remember that <laughs> conversation. Is this right? Is that going to go away? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> All right. Um, so total oil was kind of a, a weird uh, thing here. So um, basically uh, what Scott was talking about here is he always assumed that if a particular hop variety was high in total oil content, then it had a better chance of producing a beer with more flavor and aroma. Turns out not quite. So uh, total oil content uh, from – or so looking at – um, an Oregon State University uh, test in 2016, um, again, evaluating Cascade specifically. Um, in 29 different lots, total oil content from each lot ranged from 0.6 milliliters per 100 grams to 2.1 uh, milliliters per 100 grams. Um, and so digging into this, um, they... Oh, man, I did not take good enough notes on this. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> I'm like re-scanning now. I feel so bad. All right. So um, the authors concluded that Cascade dry hop beers containing higher amounts of total oil did not necessarily result in a beer with overall or with a higher overall hop aroma intensity. In fact, the Cascade hop with the high or with the lowest oil content had one of the highest aroma intensity ratings. Um, and one of the higher total oil hops had the lowest evaluated uh, intensity. So one theory was like it's the quality of the oil, um, or the. I mean, t- and that could be you know, and this is this is it in the book. It's you know, location. Tier, yeah, terroir. Yeah, or- harvest date. I mean, if if anybody's ever harvested hops on their own, it's like, you know, that those days. Leading up to is it is it ready is it ready? Oh, it's critical. Yeah. You know? it's there super are, important. The, the yeah. breweries that go rub the hops, mm-hmm. they specifically, and we'll get there someday. Yeah. But like they specifically are like, I want this picked on day four, not yeah. day five, yeah. because well, and there's also something to be said for a lot of the, um, a lot of the Oregon hop producers, they dry their hops at warmer temperatures, and some of the you know I, I went to this hop seminar thing in Wisconsin and they've found that if you dry hops using air but ambient temperatures some of those oils kind of stick with and it changes dramatically changes the hop itself you know so okay. you could have a cascade I mean, oh, there's a lot some of, of them other like reasons, oxidize but, and well it's it's but it's it's you know it's it, they essentially they isomerize oh okay. you know it's like those you know warmer temperatures out yep. you know in the traditional way of 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 drying hops if you do it with ambient temperatures, you're not getting that. I mean, maybe isomerization yeah. isn't the right, but you know, it's the same. It's the same yeah. theory of that. They, they're, so. they're changing. So what? So all um, of those things. So so stu- looking at these studies, what they found was um, that total oil wasn't the best um, indicator of aroma and intensity, but rather uh, geraniol. 
Geranial? Geranial. 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 Not toilet was most effective at predicting aroma quality and intensity. Um, it should be noted that the dry hopping uh, was done after fermentation was complete in the absence of yeast. Um, so no biotransform here. Mm-hmm. Um, so that could definitely change things. Um, but the uh, one of the best indicators uh, was that and uh, the uh, compound uh, beta penine or penine? Penine. Penine. Uh, was was the best indicator, right? Yeah, and and the interesting part here is that those are each uh, different um, composition of the essential oils. So your 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 beta pinene is is in, falls under that hydrocarbon. Yep. Uh, so it's extremely volatile in your in the forty to eighty percent range. Whereas, uh, you know, with your geranium, linalool, and citronella. Citronellol, yep. we're talking about oxygen-containing compounds, which is approximately only about 30%. You, so. remember, uh, you remember the last episode when I was nailing all these scientific <laughs> words and you were super impressed? Yeah. Yeah, well, Space Force ruined that for me. Uh, <laughs> when you add, like, it's like, it's just, just add eol to the end of a you word. Eol. You need to hold it together. Eol and two beers and you're... Totally screwed. We got how many more hours of podcasting? Uh, dude, I don't even so, want to think about that doing, right now. Is, am I done, though, after this one? Oh, you, you, you get you to are. leave. <laughs> <laughs> Casey I mean, I, you're welcome to stay as long as you want. Eh, no, thanks. Casey I and I understand. are recording two other fine podcasts this yeah, evening. Yeah, no, we'll Department be here for another Offense four hours. And the Rules of Arena. Oh. What's yeah. the Rules of Arena? Uh, we actually, no, stop? we're not doing Rules of the Arena. We're doing No Story Left Behind. Okay. It's going to be intense. What's yeah, No Story Left Behind? Intense. Oh, uh, it's the one that. Let's talk about that after. Yeah. Or uh, we'll, we'll talk about that. Actually, we'll do a little pre thing after. Should, you should sure. do yep. that. Yeah. I will. Yeah. I will. Yeah. All right. Okay. Uh, anyway, moving on. Uh, yeah, so we're we're talking about total oil here. Um, yeah, so other um, other hop varieties. So we're talking about uh, Cascade and Centennial mm-hmm. here. Other ones that are uh, highest in uh, beta pinin. Said that right? Sure. Okay, sure. <laughs> Pinine? Pinine. Pinine. I don't, I don't know. There we go. Concentrations uh, are um, Bravo, Tahoma, and Comet, um, which are also uh, bittering hops, aren't they? High alpha acid, I would, right? yeah. I mean, Bravo, not necessarily, but... Uh, Tahoma and Comet are, right? Yeah. Okay. I'm just trying to remember my hops now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that like so if you're looking for something that's going to give you the best uh, like aroma intensity, don't necessarily look at oil is basically what we're getting to with this section. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to look at other factors. And finding those other factors aren't necessarily easy. Some hop websites will... Uh, lay, will list other things, but if you're going through like Northern Brewer and stuff, like every, they're still on the um, alpha acid is yeah. the only important thing that you need to know about hops. Yeah, and and as a you know as a as a brewer, we're that was my phone. What are you doing? No. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's like I've never been here before. <laughs> yeah. It's Katie's turn. Anyway, uh, you know you you learn that like a, a good example is like Simcoe hops. If you if you is it Simcoe? Where if you if you use that hop in the quote unquote incorrect way, it goes from pine resin to cat pee. armpits cat pee. to cat pee. cat pee. You know, so it's like they're not. It you can't just it it, it isn't just a across the board yeah. black and white. So, yeah. and that has right. to happen with all 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 hops. Uh, Did we so write a book on that? I feel like. <laughs> oh yeah, we're we're looking at. It. Uh, so Katie, do you want to talk about uh, the impact of filtering on hop compounds? I feel like you might have some 
You might have some experience uh, with this. I mean, not not necessarily out of the book because I feel like uh, a lot of this is very mm-hmm. like just. I mean, your your experience with. Yeah, I don't have. A, I, oh, no, okay. I don't. No. Uh, we uh, uh, the only beer that we filter at at Hop is a Minnesotan or our lager. So yeah, we used to filter half of Crooked Grin. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean the basically the the thing here seems to be anyway that the if you filter a beer. Is it at the expense of losing the volatile hop compounds? The answer, according kind to the, of yes. the research in this book, is yes and no. Um, so dr- drop post-fermentation, the biggest difference other than yeast strains is that, you know, the, the beer is filtered or the, the beer is unfiltered. So mm-hmm. this study that you're using, the results of the study revealed that filtering this Pilsner that they were working on had little to no difference mm-hmm. in more on polar. On the monoterpene. Right, the monoterpene piece. Yeah, and it. they're, well, and I mean, the, the only thing I can think of is, is appearance. You know, those, if you filter a beer, there's always a little bit of hop haze that happens with beers the more you hop them. And if you filter them, that's going to be less, but is that also going to impact the flavor? Mm-hmm. Right. Well, so according to this, the only the only thing that they saw a loss in was the hydrocarbons, which are volatile to begin they're, with. They're in the on the order of extremely volatile. Yep. Um, so it's stuff you would ex- you would, you would potentially expect lose, lose well, or and expect to lose I anyway. Mean, depending on the hydrocarbons you might want to lose anyway. Right. Because um, there's, there's some hydrocarbons that you might not necessarily want in the beer. So, so you could use filtering as a way to modify the flavor to something that you're more expecting. It depends on what flavor you're going for. Yeah. Will filtering impact the beer and change it? Yes. Is it for good or bad? Yes. <laughs> so, or no. <laughs> right. But, but like, Brian, Brian, what if it's Beechwood filtered? Uh, that's... <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it could it could be a way to speed up the conditioning time of some yeah. of the hazy IPAs. And, so and, removing and some I, of the greener characteristics, which is these monoterpenes. And if you look at the monoterpene the, the, example, we're talking myrcene, pinene, uh, alpha, no, 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 and beta. No, no. Hi, hi, hydrocarbons. It's removing or, I'm the sorry, hydrocarbons. What did I say? Yep. You said monoterpenes. Yeah. Well, and, but monoterpenes are a hydrocarbon. Well, no, no, no. Well, monoterpene alcohols, and then you have the the hydrocarbons are myrcene. So li- the the monoterpenes are linalool, uh, gerinol, and alpha terpenol. Oh yeah, no, no. Terpenol. So what I was getting at w- was that it's the removal of the more the greener characteristics. Yes, and which are the so hydrocarbons, hydrocarbons and pine yes. and, and and stuff like that. Yeah, we're on the same page. Just we took us a minute to get there. And are just we a, argue a, agreeing? A, yes, awesome. barely. <laughs> on a, a quick reminder, like this, this filtering, you know, you, as a homebrewer, you might think, well, this isn't a thing, but you can absolutely filter as a homebrewer. Oh, yeah. yep. Just um, be careful not to introduce oxygen. There's way, yeah, there's ways, but yeah. you, the, the, uh, you just go to the wine section of your homebrew shop and find a decent filter. It's plate, a, you know, plate and frame. A couple hundred bucks, but mm-hmm. um, definitely be worth it. Maybe not necessarily for, you know, this application with IPAs, but if you want to make a impeccable, brilliant check pills or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's I mean, f- filtering regardless is going to, it's it's going to strip flavor. Centrifuging is a whole different topic that we'll yeah. just skip. <laughs> can we? I, oh, oh, well, I don't, I, I, can, I, can I, you get a <laughs> centrifuge on a homebrew level? I mean. No, 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 no. What if I take a bucket and I spin it real fast? No. Yeah, just stir it. No, I, I remember when, <laughs> when we were. 
when we were building true. out and specking the brewery, I remember uh, asking for a quote from GEA about a centrifuge, and the guy was like, well, what size brewery do you have? And I said, well, we're making a 15-barrel brewery, and he kind of chuckled and was like, huh? <laughs> okay, well. well what, what was I'll, his recommendation, like, size-wise? They didn't make one at the time. Yeah. So he quoted us for this $100,000 centrifuge that was built for 30 and above. Yeah, there we go. And I believe now they make a smaller skid-mounted version that mm-hmm. you, that is more acceptable for that volume of beer. But we're just yeah. not at that level yet. So we'll right. move on. Yeah, to yeah. Whoa. All right, let's else. move on to head retention with dry hopping. Because I, like, I guess I never really thought about how hops would affect the head retention, especially this late in the, the process. So, um, yeah, uh, as, as Scott says, not surprisingly, well, Scott colored me surprised. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he colors us surprised like every single week. Every single yeah. week. I can't wait to have him not, on the show. Yeah, like, I think yeah. it'll be fantastic. Anyway, yeah. um, so both alpha acids and humulones, uh, which are oxidized alpha acids, will increase mm-hmm. beer foam. Um, mm-hmm. But the higher the beer pH from dry hopping uh, can negatively impact beer foam as well as the hop varieties that are high in fatty acids. Okay. So you're now looking like with what you're dry hopping, you have to be a little careful. Like, So if you're not using a ton of malts that will retain your head retention, like chip malt or anything like high in those proteins, um, you need to be careful that you're not using like low uh, or I'm sorry, high fatty, uh, fatty acid hops, because that will negatively impact your ho- your head retention, which already yeah, could be impacted sense. by. Everything I mean, you else. think about you think totally about like sense. you are. Uh, <laughs> my first thought was like you're 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 cleaning a really greasy pan mm-hmm. with soap, mm-hmm. and you need more soap for yeah. you know. And yep. then the next thing I went was like you you're like shampooing your greasy head with shampoo. You know, or whatever. if what's that old like trick where you're like, Oh, rub your finger on your oh, nose yeah, and then, kill and then the stick head. it in the head yep, of your beard. Yep, it's yep, the same, that's the, thing. the same yep, thing. Exactly. So if they found the, you know, that in addition to iso alpha acids, that there was a study um, that found a hop acid called uh, dihydro isohumulone. And that can also substantially improve the foam stability and lacing. So those are two ways to do it. Yeah. The other thing you have to keep in mind, and, and, and this is probably, uh, you know, self-explanatory, is the higher ABV your beer is, the less foam stability you're going to have. So well, if, you're, if you're trying yeah. to make a more than, wait, what, six, six and a half percent hazy well, IPA, and, and especially you're going to have so foam retention they, issues. They did find here, and this this is kind of kind of what I, what I found is... Or what, what I found interesting is, so not iso-alpha acids, but alpha acids straight from the hop. So a hop that is high in alpha acids will actually um, improve your head retention. Okay. Um, because they, like, I'm not entirely sure, but that I'm guessing it has something to do with their, um, their the issue that they have with uh, uh, hydro... Phobicity. Yes. I couldn't figure out how to say that in an adjective. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so they're hydrophobic. This is not good for me. This is not good for me, man. I'm just going to let you guys take the show. You guys go for it. I'm out. Okay. Casey. <laughs> Where's the stop button? Yeah. No. How do we shut this off? Uh, I, I blame the we'll kayaks, keep, man. We'll it threw me talking off today. And talking oh, and talking. Yeah. 
All right, no, uh, no, but so I found that really interesting. Having uh, higher alpha acids um, can actually increase your foam stability, and they can be isolated. And they were adding um, isolated alpha acids to beers in this study to increase the foam stability, um, mm-hmm. which I'm wondering if that's something that like there there are products out there now that do that, right? What or, or like that that will ink like that you can add post fermentation for better head retention, or no? Yes, but I can't. I can't remember I, off the top of my head. I just we don't really usually kind of go. With I mean, that. right? And, no, and, that, and that's yeah. like a you know that's one of those things that like as a home brewer, f- for the cost of it, it's it's great. But, yeah, but for a professional, but for, level, not you know, so it's much, just yeah. like it's it would be cost effective. There's not a lot of overhead, you know. Alrighty. Are we moving on to molten head retention? All right, let's yeah, let's just do that. That's I mean that's pretty simple in my opinion. You know, the, you know, chit malt, um, carafoam or a dextrin malt, or even adding oats, wheat, you know, these flaked flaked adjunct to your beer is going to you know you think about a half of That's that's flaked wheat malt. You know, you add that to your beer and you're going to impact your head head retention, which will also, you know help this this hazy IPA situation. Yeah. Anything else? Any final thoughts, Brian? Um man, this is this is such a dense deal. I don't know. Um Yeah, there's uh, so dude, I mean, I guess looking at chip malt or other malts that can do these these things, I mean, it, the, the the increase of that is going to give you higher foam stability. More iso alpha ad acids going to give you uh, more foam stability. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think we were pretty pretty um, comprehensive here on this chapter. Yeah. All right. So Brian, you want to try? Uh, you want to try playing us out again? You tried that one time and it was fun. You want to try that again? Oh, God, no. <laughs> Wait, do I just read the thing at the top again? No, I, I got it. I got <laughs> okay, it. Don't go worry ahead. about it. Don't worry about it. I just wanted to see no. if you wanted to try. No, I had two probably more beers the last time I tried to do that, and I'm not very confident right now. <laughs> Let it go. All right, guys. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, I hope you had as much fun as I did up until the end. Uh <laughs> If you guys have any questions, comments, show ideas, what have you, go ahead and shoot us an email at feedback at blindersstudios.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Blinder Ninja. And I'll see you guys next week. Peace. Good night. Yeah.